Hey there, this is Ray Dadaram from STEP, and welcome to this episode of Meta Conversations, where I interview successful startup founders in or from emerging markets. If you enjoy listening and find it useful, you can follow the podcast on Spotify and Rami and Apple Podcasts, or watch the video version on stepplus.stepconference.com. I'm joined today by Omar Qasim, who needs no introduction, but I'm going to do an introduction anyways. He's the founder and CEO of Nomote, uh, also uh, famously known to be the founder of Jaropado, uh, among uh, many other things, and being a big influencer and contributor uh, to the startup ecosystem in MENA. Uh, Omar, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. There's a lot I want to talk to you about in this uh, one hour. Uh, but first of all, let's start with with what you're doing right now. It seems that there's some uh, trend uh, for all the e-commerce founders to go on afterwards and start uh, payments companies. Uh, there's a founder of Tabby and Tamara and you and, and others. Uh, so tell me about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good question. I, I think, I think. Um, yeah, so I basically founded Nomad um, back in late 2019. Um, woke up one morning and thought, "Hey, you know, it'd be a good idea to um, get back on the treadmill, start building, building a new thing." And uh, the initial idea was, "Let's build a consumer um, digital banking play," which very quickly evolved to to a B two B banking play, and we just sort of iterated the the idea from there. Um, I can't speak to why other e-com founders have uh, sort of moved towards payments businesses. Um, I'm going to take credit for. Tabby though, um, uh, that was originally my idea and for someone I at some point we we're going to do it together and then uh, I, I said to him, no, I need to go off and build this banking thing. So, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's been it's been awesome to see him uh, sort of pick it up and, and run with it. So, but yeah, so Nomad is, is what, where I'm sort of being head down focused for the last uh, sort of year and a half, I guess. And are you guys fully launched and regulated already? Um, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we're um, we're sort of in the throes of uh, doing a bunch of things at the moment. Uh, regulation being being one of them. Um, we uh, so so today we we essentially so, so this idea was let's uh, build an alternative to um, a traditional bank um, and and essentially um, we we essentially decided that we're effectively going to start building what I'm now calling a financial operating system for businesses in emerging markets. Uh, and if you're from our industry, we're, we're effectively today a mashup between Square and Brex. Um, so effectively, a, um, you know, we're, we're building a mixture of payments and, and financial services uh, over time. And, and I think the, I mean, we're, we haven't officially launched as such. Um, we've essentially just had, had our heads down, just building the product out um, and, and then started uh, acquiring customers. So today the, the focus has been primarily on acquiring customers in the UAE, but we've essentially uh, we allow signups from anywhere, so we've dealt with customers from probably about you know, 30, 40 different countries today, and, and just seeing what's what's working, just continue to iterate and uh, and, and and keep going essentially. You're known for like criticizing banks a lot, uh, and why wouldn't you, right? Uh, why wouldn't anyone criticize banks? Uh, but was that the reason? Was that the pain uh, behind uh, starting the mode? Yeah, I, I think I think some of it was. Um, so so I think banks um, over time have done a poor job of sort of generally trying to understand their customers and, and serve their customers. And I think there's um, significant disruption on the way to, to how some of the how some of them are traditionally operated. Um, 
I think, like for example, if you take if, t- if you take the UAE as a as a single market in the region, we're genuinely overbanked. So um, even after some in- industry consolidation, we're probably what um, 46 or 48 banks at the moment. Uh, we've got about when I last counted um, seven or eight um, new di- digital banks that are um, uh, that are sort of in the throes of launching or are sort of on the way, but. You know, we're, we're yet to find a single bank that either consumers or corporates uh, or even small businesses like genuinely love um, and can turn around and say that, you know, here's here's a brand that I can trust and that I like. And, you know, the, these guys get me, et cetera. And I think that just doesn't exist. And, and I think when when you've got a space where, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the individual customers in that in, in that space don't genuinely love what they're um, the products that are that are being uh, built for them and sold to them, then I think there's an opportunity. I mean, you know, you can go out and, and, and build an alternative. Um, I think luckily the, um, probably four or five years ago, the reg environment didn't support being able to do that. And I think um, a lot has changed since then, um, both in the region as well as globally, um, in terms of being able to build out um, banks in, a, in or the things that banks do in an alternative fashion to, to your yeah. traditional uh, big box uh, out there. And so you said you have the kind of like Brex side of the business and the Square side of the business. I'm guessing we're starting off with the Square-like side of the business first, or yeah, yeah. So so it's very much so. So, so the key um, problem that we so we took a step back and thought, you know, what what are what are all of the so one what what have, what have people in other regions built? Um, what's working? What's not? Uh, what are some of the problems that we could be solving? And and something that we came kept coming back to. So I had this side project from. From 2018-ish, um, mid 2018, where we basically built um, uh, a little app called LunaTap that sat on top of Stripe, and then essentially allowed someone to take their Stripe account into the real world. So you could essentially just log in with your Stripe credentials, um, and then effectively start using your Stripe account for face-to-face payments. Um, and and we kept sort of coming back to that idea and thinking that you know. Um, Traditionally, to to go out and get access to an in-person card relationship, to for example, to get access to to a card terminal, is actually a very painful process. So you know, you, you go out and there's there's paperwork to do, there's contracts, and there's lots of sort of convoluted fees and and so on and so forth. And and we thought that hey, you know, if you could build something in that space that that would allow someone to sign up really fast, um, and and literally within three or four minutes of, of pulling down an app, they could essentially start processing card payments. Um, and that's what we've essentially solved for today. Um, so you can essentially pull down Nomad from 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 the App Store or Play Store, um, sign up within like two or three minutes and and, and start, start processing card payments both in person and, and a few weeks ago, so sorry, probably late May, we, we shipped payment links as well. So you can you can essentially sort of check out online as well. So um, we're, 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 yeah, we're absolutely doing the square side of the business first, minus the hardware. Um, so we think that commodity hardware, there's, there's enough sort of hardware out there. Um, and, and, and then essentially from there onwards sort of build out the rest of the financial services. So a, a merchant can use their phone essentially for the hardware? Because Square has their own kind of hardware that they use. Yeah, so, so, so the idea is, and, and I think the, the, the space that we've looked to focus on, and I mean, when you look at payments, I mean, payments is a, is, is a massive, massive market, and there's lots of different bits and pieces that are um, that, that, that sort of go into that value chain. And, and for us, I think it's, we're, we're really focused on sort of the last mile piece. So effectively the point where the customer wants to make a payment to you as the merchant. So effectively the, the equivalent of, you know, your merchant essentially typically pulling out some sort of um, uh, some sort of hardware and then essentially asking you to tap or swipe or whatever it may be. I think what, 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 we, what we realized is that 
Um, and, and this is primarily a trend that's taking place more in emerging markets than anywhere else, is that uh, on, on, on the consumer end, um, you're starting to see, you know, almost all issuance by default, card issuance is, is effectively taking place um, from, from a contactless perspective. Um, and I think over the next seven or eight years, we'll probably get to a point where uh, the plastic just goes away um, and you've effectively will have some sort of digital token tokenized to the wallet of your choice. Um, and, and typically that probably end up being something that's sort of, you know, the, the default on your operating system, so an Apple Pay or Google Pay. Uh, and in some regions, it could be things like Paytm and so on. And, and so um, that, that, I think, is on one side of the market. On the merchant end of the market, there hasn't really been much movement from, from sort of, you know, this, this legacy hardware. Um, and we felt that, you know, given the proliferation of devices out there, you can essentially just, you know, why do you need custom hardware? You can essentially pull up your phone, um, pull down some software, and, and, and effectively it becomes your, your, your point of sale, and you can essentially start processing a payment on it. Yeah, it's interesting. And generally, you feel that developed markets could move faster in that. But, like for example, when I when I'm in the US, uh, it's it's much harder to use Apple Pay versus here in Dubai. Uh, you can really use Apple Pay everywhere uh, versus versus other markets. And you see you see it in, in China or other countries where uh, paying with mobile really moved a lot faster than than other countries. Um, when it comes to to the the Brex side of the business. Uh, issuing credit cards or uh, providing credit and so on. Um, do you think you can uh, overcome regulation to that and, and, and be allowed to do such a thing at any point in, in the Middle East at least? I know you're focused more. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I think, um, um, and, and again, just going back to what I was saying earlier, I, th I think if you'd asked me four or five years ago, I probably would have said that it would have probably been much more challenging than it is today. Um, I, I think from a reg perspective, I think regulators are much more um, open to um, incoming new solutions. Um, it, you know, for example, when I think when I think about uh, Saudi as an example, I think I think Salma has been absolutely incredible, and, and they're probably the standout regulator um, uh, in the region from my perspective. Both, both from the way that the re sort of the regulatory frameworks have been put together, as well as you know just just the approach in terms of being able to uh, embrace new ideas and attract um, uh, you know new entrants into their ecosystem. Um, so, so I think um, the reg piece is definitely solvable. It's not it's not an easy solve. Uh, but, but then again, you know if you're building something interesting, it, it's never easy. So so I think you need to go out there and do the work and solve it. But it, but I think it's something that you need to solve alongside as you build the business out. And I think you know when I when I think about you know, one one of the reasons we, we decided to build our business out this way is, was that is that it, I think it's important to um, not just so I, I mean I had I, I had this tweet a while ago where 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 I think that there there've been lots of startups in the region who went after you know seeking regulatory permission or seeking licensing and you know effectively ended up collecting like a bunch of sandbox licenses and and didn't really end up building the business and and I mean you know you need to build the business and and I think. The reg piece will at some point. You, you need to be aware of it, and you need to start solving it. But you're not going to be able to do that on day one, right? I mean, it's it's just not. Yeah. No one's going to give you a license and say, "Hey, you know, a little startup. Here you go. Here's a license. Go off and do whatever you want." I mean, that's not going to happen. So, I, I think they both need to happen in in, in tandem. And and for me, I think yeah. I mean, um, uh, when I think about a business like Brex and the way that that business has evolved from from sort of starting with issuance and then going off and, and doing interesting things like lending, and, and I mean they've got a they've got a very sort of an interesting suite of products. So they've got a current account product and so on and so forth. I think a lot of that stuff is very much possible. And I think there's a when I think about emerging markets, there's just a massive opportunity in terms of being able to build something that. Um, you know, for businesses and, and, and for me, in, in my view, I think the, the sort of the B2B problem is significantly larger than the B2C problem, essentially. So, um, which, which hopefully makes it more fun as we as, as we sort of go along. 
Uh, a lot of the, the fintech companies or startups in the, in, the, in the region are, and generally a lot of startups don't build their product out to be kind of built in a, in a, with really good, good documentation, really good self-serve uh, manner. Uh, and it's it's more manual and, and enterprise-like approach. It seems that what you're building with the mode is much more self-serve and Stripe or or, or Brex-like uh, in, in that uh, sense. So how did you go about that? Where are you in that product roadmap? Uh, and, and, and how do you think it's a, it's a, it's a consumer as well, uh, behavior, why a lot of the other startups go the, down the path where they, they build a more kind of manual approach, enterprise-like approach versus self So I mean, Stripe is now in the region, so which is, which is you know, they're, they're the, the masters for, for a self-serve, beautifully uh, done product. Uh, and I, I saw in your product as well, like from, I haven't dig into it in detail, but from what I've seen, it's, it has a lot of similarities, aspirations to, towards uh, some of the global players. Yeah, look, I, I think Stripe is definitely, um, uh, you know, a business that, that we've taken inspiration from, a business that we respect. And, and I think it's not just, just the way they've gone about building their business, but just, just how they've gone out and, and, and executed. And, and I think the attention to detail is probably um, second to none at this point. Um, and, and, and I mean, it shows through and through with, um, with sort of all areas of their, uh, both their product, the documentation and their business. Um, I think for me, it's, it's probably, um, it, it's an approach thing, right? I, I think we, we, we learned a bunch of stuff when, when we were building, um, uh, when we built products in, in the consumer space. And, and I think um, consumers generally care more about about experience than than businesses do, but but at the same time, when you um, you know at the end of the day, um, a business is made up of a bunch of consumers, right? So um, when, when a business um, when, when you can provide that that that, that sort of a, a great experience, I think it just allows you to to stand out versus versus your competition. And and, and I think look for me, um, what we built today, always and, and and will for a while remain remain a work in progress. I mean, there's you know if you look at so, so the way I like to think about startups, startups are, um, are you know, th- th- there's a nice veneer in front, but, you know, in, in the background, it, it's literally, there's, there's a lot it's of a mess. I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a complete total mess. And, and I think um, sometimes on the outside, you don't realize that. I mean, um, uh, a lot of stuff is broken, a lot of stuff doesn't work. I mean, if I showed you the state of the documentation, there is documentation, there, there's, there's lots of facts, there's a lot of stuff that's happening. But, you know, the reality is that there's always going to be finite resources, right? And, and I think you need to, uh, decide um, what 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 is your you know what's your north star what's your compass and what what is that pointing towards and what's important um, and there's always be, there'll always be so for us I mean the priority is ship a great product and keep shipping and and so um, you know we, we will try to do all of the other things and we'll try to you know make sure that, that we're taking the boxes there um, but you know sometimes stuff is broken until until you until you end up fixing it I, I think the challenge is that we don't approach it with, with, with the mentality of, of saying that, you know, eventually it'll be fixed. I think that it doesn't get fixed and, and you sort of, but I think if you just have this approach of saying that, look, the, 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 there needs to be a high quality bar and you, and you chase after it. I think, I think it's something that's, that's achievable and I think it's, it's something that's, uh, that's worth doing in my view. How do you build that mentality and translate it across the, across the team and people, especially on the tech side, uh, uh, when it comes to maintaining a balance between, you know, the, the, the perfection kind of mentality and shipping quickly as well? Uh, so where is that balance? What's your approach or methodology that you use uh, with your, you know, with yourself and with your, with your team as well. Yeah, so, so, so I think um, if you'd asked me a few years ago, my, my approach was to perfect it and say that, hey, you know, let's 
let's make sure that it's absolutely right. Uh, let's make sure that everything is working and that we've sort of dotted every I, crossed every T before, before we ship it. Um, I, I think um, experience has shown that's probably not the right approach. Um, I think you um, probably need to be a little bit embarrassed by what you're shipping. Um, so I mean, when I, when, I, when I go back and look at where we were six months ago, 12 months ago, in terms of some of the stuff that, that was coming out the door, I mean, we were, we were lucky in the sense that there weren't, you know, like a bunch of people judging us at that time, and, and I can probably get get to why why that was. Um, but but I think it, it, it essentially, I, I think you need to be a little bit embarrassed by what you're shipping at, at any at any given point, and and, and essentially um, focus on actually getting it out the door. Um, I, I think it needs to be at a level where um, it works and it makes sense for the audience that that you're putting it in front of. Um, but but look, at the end of the day, if if, if you you know, I'd rather ship something, get feedback from the customer and, and iterate the product quickly versus, you know, taking a long time to perfect it. And then by the time you get it out, um, you know, you, you recognize that the market has moved on right. or, or your product is no longer relevant. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to build in isolation is what you're saying, right? Yeah, so exactly, exactly. With, with customers giving you feedback at the same time. Um, yeah. And then speaking of that feedback from, from especially when you're building a complex uh, product, how do you how do you kind of manage that feed, feedback loop with customers as as you grow and you've experienced that with Jadopat as well before and, and and now so how do you make sure you you take feedback but also you don't get distracted by every single piece of feedback that's coming at you? Sure. So so, so I think yeah. I mean yeah. So so one of the things that I've personally liked doing is that. Um, uh, even today, I still answer the majority of support tickets, um, and I think it's it's a great way to um, be able to understand exactly what your customers are saying, the sort of things that they um, that they're um, that they're asking of you, um, the things that are missing. I, I think it's it. I mean, it's, look, it's easy to hire someone and, and throw the problem at them and, and, and never think about tickets again, but um, but it, but but I think it's it's one of those things where I think it's a really tight feedback loop. So you ship something. And, and you know, a day, a couple of days later, someone comes back and says, "Hey, it's broken. This isn't working." Or, um, you know, I, I wish the product could do this. Um, and so, if, if, I think you take that um, and you, you you sort of um, triage it and throw it into in, into your um, into, into your product process, and and then and then and then basically, um, you know, try to figure out, you know, what's important, what isn't, what should you what should you work on, what what, what are the what are the priorities. And for me, I think um, probably a good way of thinking about that is. You know, if you pick a single metric for your business, and if you could just pick, and, and I think for most businesses that are looking to generate revenue from from day one, it, it probably is revenue um, or or some sort of equivalent metric. And for businesses that aren't, it's probably user growth or, or something along those lines. And I think you pick that one metric, and then you basically say, okay, what is what what can I do today to essentially move the needle on that metric, right? And I think if you sort of use that that, that sort of single-minded approach and say, okay, when I look at this feature, is it going to move that metric or not? If it's not, then it's probably not a priority today. If it is going to move that metric, um, you know, so if I um, if I iterate the sign-up flow a little bit further, um, you know, I'll, I'll get, you know, 5x more sign-ups, um, which means that I'll be able to drive the revenue metric further, then yes, we should do that. And I think it's, it's probably a good way to sort of triage and, and think about what features should, should come out next. It's, I mean, you know, and, and I think then you need to balance that with some of your strategic objectives. So it can't be all, it probably needs to be like 90% sort of sort of short-term focus and then 10, 10% you're sort of thinking about, um, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to build some pieces from a right perspective. So for example, uh, you know, we need to be able to make sure that we um, sort of KYC these customers or KYB these customers, whatever it may be. So that's not going to move the needle from a, from a revenue perspective, but, you know, 
if I don't do that, then the regulator is going to sort of turn around and shut, shut me down. So, so I think it's just trying to strike a balance between those essentially. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of founders, uh, successful founders who, who've, you know, kind of pioneered the approach of building in public. Uh, you're public about a lot of topics. Is Have you uh, taken the approach of, of kind of like disclosing uh, more of your metrics? I mean, in the region here, especially in MENA, sure. a lot of founders, we have the culture of, you know, keep everything closed, don't share information, uh, and, you know, that ends up being uh, not great in a lot of ways because, you know, founders can't learn from other founders. Um, so in, 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 the, in the West and other markets, you have a lot of founders publicly sharing their their uh, uh, numbers and metrics and revenue on, on, on their metrics to like a pretty advanced stage. Um, do you plan to do that? Uh, is that an approach that you yeah, take? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean it's, look, it's a great question. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit on the fence in terms of... Um, I think there are, there are a couple of challenges there, right? One, um, I think, yes, I mean, in the region, people generally have an aversion to sharing numbers. I personally have no issues with sharing numbers. I'm, I'm happy to talk about numbers and, and you know, tell you about my, that last, over the last three weeks, we grew 30% week on week on average. Um, so, which is great, but but, but I think, the, the, so, so I think there, there, there's two challenges. One, um, I think when you look at founders who are, um, and, and typically you're, you're seeing a lot of solo founders and sort of solo teams today who um, who, who, who tend to be self-funded and, and who are essentially going out and, and effectively building their next project that may turn into a product. Um, and and, they, and they're, at that point, there typically isn't, um, you know, there isn't a focus on fundraising. There isn't a focus on, on going out and talking to, they're, they're typically, you know, you're just out there shipping. And you know you, you could be doing you, you know you you and, and I've seen a bunch of people sort of they're, they're doing uh, live streams on YouTube they're they're doing you know um, uh, streaming on Twitch and, and so on and so forth and and and, and actively sharing the metrics on on on, on places like Twitter etc. Which I think is a great approach when you're in that frame of mind. I think I think the challenge is that when you're out there building something um, and I mean when you sort of look at look at a funded startup today, one of the challenges is that when you're out there raising capital. Um, the way the venture ecosystem works um, and, you know, some of the nuances within that, you know, having all of your data out there probably isn't a good thing because there's elements of FOMO, there's elements of, you know, needing to create the right. Yeah, a lot of and, you know, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of, and, and I think over time you learn the nuance that's, that's within that space. And, and so I think you, um, while theoretically it feels like a good idea to, to be sharing everything out there, um, I think uh, the reality is it probably end up doing yourself a disservice. And I think may, maybe there's a, there's a balance to be struck by. So, th so I think one of the th one of the businesses that I that, that I'm a big admirer of um, and have been for for a few few years now is, is a business called GitLab. And so GitLab is is essentially an open source competitor to to GitHub. Uh, and GitLab has become um, infamous, or sort of I guess sort of they've reached some relative amount of fame in, in, again in the industry. Um, because they currently now are a thousand-person team uh, spread out across like 60 locations globally, and they're completely remote. They've never had any offices. The only office that they've had actually is the founder has access to a boardroom, um, which, which if I remember right, used to be like located like right next to his apartment, or his apartment was part of the boardroom. But there, there was some craziness there. But effectively, I think one of the things that they did was that they um, anything that you want to know about GitLab's business and how they run it. So they have this incredible handbook that they've been writing over. Um, say almost since the business started um, and down to like, you know, the minutia of 
Um, uh, it, it, just you know, the, the detail in there is just absolutely incredible. And, and, and the, the reason that they've done that is that um, by, by having all of that information out there publicly, one, it acts as a, as a great hiring tool to be able to bring people in who, um, who like that culture. And at the same time, it just means that they, um, for, for their team, they can run everything in a, in a relatively public yeah. fashion. So, for example, their internal meetings are, are streamed on YouTube, etc. But GitLab does not publish its financials. There are, there are a key set of metrics that you will not find in the handbook simply because, again, now GitLab, I think if I remember right, is probably looking to IPO in the next two to three years. So, you know, you can't, uh, you, you really can't sort of be out there publishing yeah. every metric. But some things, yeah. So, if, so I think, you know, if I just conclude on, on this way, I think if you strike the right balance, I think there's a lot that you can share and, and that you probably should share. Um, and, and they're probably something that you should probably keep to yourself. Yeah, there are advantages that one of the, or two of the startups that have done this well and really benefited from, there's one called copy.ai. And uh, they're just from day one, they're, they're founder and everyone is brought on board. Like they, the way they've done it is that by sharing, they allowed like the, the community they've built around them to celebrate their wins. And he ended up hiring people from Twitter, a lot of people from, from the community. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of, uh, ConvertKit is another, another one which is, became like, quite big and, and still share a lot of like the details on uh, how they're doing. Uh, what are what are some of the kind of like growth? I mean, you're, the space that you're in is, is getting more and more competitive locally and globally. Like you said, it's pretty big and, and there's still a lot of problems to solve. Um, how do you compete and what kind of like uh, growth uh, hacks and approach? I know you're a product-led kind of uh business, but um, what kind of like growth and marketing uh, tactics or, or, or hacks or things you've done uh, yeah. to, to win customers? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a good question. To be honest, um, there hasn't been a whole lot yet. Uh, we've literally um, put our heads down and just have been focused on building the product. And I think one of the things that I explicitly decided not to do um, that I'd done previously was I decided not to do any PR. I decided not to talk much about Nomad. I decided I stopped tweeting as much as I used to. Um, I do, and just basically decided that, look, um, let, let's just build the product um, and just keep talking to customers, acquiring customers, iterate it, and, and effectively see what happens. And so um, we, we've not ended up officially launching the business. We've, we've not really um, uh, done much in that space, but you know, we've got uh, more than a thousand customers sign up today. Um, and as I was saying earlier, we, we're growing uh, last three weeks, we've gone thirty percent week on week um, on average, and so so I think things are things seem like they're they're headed in the right direction. But 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 look, I mean, you know, I, I think it was just it was just for me it was essentially saying, hey, maybe we should take a slightly different approach this time and uh, and just be really really sort of focused on 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 the product. I, I think COVID is also um, while it's been a difficult time uh, given everything that's been happening around us, I think it's also provided like a um, you know, uh, no events, apologies to you guys, but uh, no face-to-face meetings. And, and it's literally just been uh, sitting down day in, day out and, and saying, okay, keep yourself motivated, just keep focusing on building. Um, and so I think it's, it's been incredibly a, like, a, like a focus time essentially for, uh, for me and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully COVID goes away, but hopefully we can continue in the, in the same style. That's, that's amazing. Have you been bootstrapped from the beginning uh, till now? And do you have plans to fundraise? No, not really. To be honest, we—I mean, we—we've—I um, uh, I put some money into the business myself. Um, we've already raised a fair amount of capital, uh, most of it from from angel investors in the region. Um, 
we 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 closed some some uh, money from, from from a VC recently, and and yeah, I, th- I think there's uh, we're continuing to have conversations in that space, and um, I think just given given uh, the current environment, I think I think there's a lot of interest in in, in what we're building, um, and I think there's just a lot of capital out there that's looking for a home. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think we'll, we'll continue to raise capital as we as we go. That's amazing. You, haven't, you really haven't been doing PR on this stuff, yes? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think we will at some point, but you know, it, I think it's just been it just just focus on 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 the on the business for the moment. I, I agree. I think I think there there's not many uh, uh, startups and founders that are very like product led and product focused, and and in general, like I think we we need to up our game in, in the region specifically in terms of. Uh, building world-class products. That why, that's why you don't see uh, SaaS companies coming out of the region here and becoming global, or uh, even fintech companies becoming global from the region. Mostly, you, you see regional-focused uh, uh, companies that are copycats. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's there's a lot of opportunity in building uh, local to global stuff. And we'll get to that stuff in a bit. I want to actually talk a little bit. Uh, about Jado Paro and, and, and the story there, uh, and, and you know this this was a whole different <laughs> time uh, when when Jado Paro was was around, and the ecosystem looked very different. Everything looked very different. Um, so, what, what were some of the looking back for you right now at at, at uh, some of the pain points and, and challenges you had at that time compared to now. What have you learned from these? Uh, do you think you still face these challenges today if you have Yeah, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I mean, great question. I, I'm, I'll try to remember whatever I can. It, it feels like it was such a long time ago. But um, um, I, I think to an extent, some, you know, the, the, I, mean, I mean, look, the ecosystem has moved along tremendously since then. Um, but at the same time, I think, I think some of the fundamental, there are still some fundamental problems that, that continue to um, continue to exist. And, um, and I think, um, you know, for example, things like, um, uh, I, I think there's still uh, capital from the region tends to um, uh, not always find a home in the region, and, and I think um, you still find that there, there there's a there's a bunch of so so I think there, there's a lot of capital in the region, but a lot of it still ends up with um, being invested in startups outside of the region. Um, I mean, it, it, it's changing in, in in that you know you've got uh, a bunch of you know sovereign wealth funds, guys like Mubadala, etc., who, who've now got MENA specific vehicles. Um, who literally, I think if I remember, Mubadala's vehicle is, it, is less than a year old, um, and so they've gone from sort of being very externally focused to now, um, you know, be, being internally focused. So, so I think some of the, some of them are being solved, but, um, but but then you know you've got structural issues and so on and so. Forth. But you know, without getting into the problems, I'm uh, you know, um, I, I, I think I think Lugdere Pira was a was a great time. It was an interesting time, but uh, um, you know, uh, lot, lots of lessons learned. But uh, you know, here we are a few years later, I guess. Shout out to our friend and entrepreneur Lulu Khazid, founder of Nebbish.com, angel investor and podcast host of Conversations with Lulu. Twice a week, Lulu invites entrepreneurs and business leaders from the region to discuss tech, business and startups and everything in between. Lulu brings a unique perspective to the conversations as an entrepreneur, an Arab woman in tech and a mother. Visit conversationswithlulu.com to watch or listen to her latest episodes. 
So, so what are the things that you'd say are somehow solved uh, and other things that, uh, when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to, to capital, other things, what, in general, just what are the things that you think there's been a lot of improvement in and things that still need a lot of work? Sure. So, so I think if I, if I just, you know, m- maybe start at a point where, um, so, you, you know, w- when we started Zetapedo, Kareem didn't exist, um, you know, no significant, I mean, Maktoub had, uh, if people remember Maktoub, Maktoub had, had, had exited a few years prior, but um, uh, Suk had started a few years before us. But, but I mean, the, the ecosystem was so nascent that, you know, even saying to a consumer that, hey, come in and, and, and shop online was, you know, w- was a new thing. And, and you know, today, um, uh, th- that fundamental problem of, of being able to uh, say, I, I mean, by and large, I think there's a significant portion of consumers that are just digital by by default at the moment, and that was never the case. Um, you know, uh, think back to a time where you used to ring up a restaurant and, and order food. I mean, you know, I, I, I can't remember a time, and, and, and you know, when you ask most people, they, they can't remember a time where when that used to happen. But but it did. I mean, it was it was it wasn't that long ago. Um, and similarly, I mean, I mean, over COVID, there've been you know, players that, that I thought would never get their act together from an e-com perspective, suddenly, you know, in the space of a few months and, and in some cases in the space of a few weeks, managed to put it together. And, and, and you know, it just became a point where if you didn't, your business was, was effectively going to be dramatically affected. And so, so I think that that fundamental sort of chicken and egg problem has been solved in the sense that now we've got consumers that are digital by default. There, there's a general embracing of, of, of digital as a as a valid channel, and, and, and in a lot of cases, as a, as a more convenient channel. Um, and then I think on the on the on the other side of the equation, I think you've you've now um, got a lot of the infrastructure that, that you need in terms of um, uh, in, whether that be uh, logistics or whether that be you know things like fulfillment, um, whether for for restaurants, whether it be things like dark kitchens or you know dark stores and and, and so on and so forth. If I just talk about sort of e-commerce or e-commerce in general. Um, again, none of that stuff existed. Um, you know, uh, people didn't know how to run warehouses for uh, for sort of single item picking. You know, people were used to running warehouses for retail operations, which, which tend to be very different. So, you know, it's you break down bulk and then you deliver in bulk to, to a retail store. That doesn't work for e-commerce. And, and so I think a lot of a lot of that stuff has has been has been solved in my view. So the, the biggest challenge you would say, uh, something to improve on is, is which we're starting to see improvement on, is the capital invested locally versus globally. Yeah, I, I think, look, look capital is one of those things that, I mean, look, it's, a, it's an enabling piece, right, of, of, of the ecosystem. Um, and I think, um, you know, alongside that, you know, I, I think we, we are going to continue to need more more talent in the space. We continue to need more people that, that understand tech and product and, um, and and are able to build the sort of experiences that, um, that that we need to build in the region for the region. So there's still a lot of product that is, um, uh, you know, that that, it, that is essentially targeted at consumers in the region that hasn't actually been built in the region. So there's lots of startups out there who have um, engineering functions that are um, in the subcontinent or or in some cases in, in Germany or in the UK or, or wherever else. Um, and, and, and so I think a lot of that stuff isn't happening in the region. So sometimes that, that nuance of what you want to build for the region gets gets lost. And so you end up building generic products. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the, the, there are sort of other things out there, but, but, but it's probably those two for me. I mean, you know, being able to really um, uh, understand the region from a product perspective, being able to invest yeah. capital in, in for the region's products. Is, is the time, I mean, everyone talks about, when they talk about talent, they say, you know, in Dubai you can just import talent from, from, 
whatever talent you need, you can import. Do you think that talent is missing on the on the top, on the founder level, or on the more on the staff that you need to hire? I think you're gonna get me to talk about it. Import founders, right? I mean, you can. But no, I, I, I think um, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I, I've always felt that we don't have enough high quality startups, and and I think that's a uh, um, uh, that's probably a function of um, not enough. Um, so, so I think, we, and, and I think that's probably a function of not having enough product-focused founders, as well as by extension, and this is probably the biggest gap. We don't have enough technical founders in the region. So, um, and, and I think that, that that there's probably again another function of not having enough engineering talent in the region. And so, to find a founder that that you know genuinely um, is, is you know understands product, um, can can potentially build a business, um, and and has um, uh, you know, can, can can read code at the same time is is, is is like a super rare combination, and so I think we we need a lot more of that, and and, and I think it'll probably take take a while to get there. And you know, just speaking to speaking to to the talent piece, I think um, you know the old model was let's import all of the talent in. Um, I think a lot of the talent today is probably turning around and saying, hey, I'm super happy to work remote, but you know, unless there's a there's a like a desperate need for me to fly out somewhere and, and, and sort of come out to your offices on a day in day out basis. It probably doesn't make sense today. Um, I think a lot of the good talent is, or a lot of the great talent um, can probably be accessed in a more, in a more remote function versus, versus importing it in. Um, and yeah, and, and I think that, that, that that's definitely, um, and so I think if anything, we probably need to um, change the way we build our organizations. Uh, I'm probably biased in this, but, but I think, you know, one of the things that I think we need to learn better in the region is how to build remote organizations and how to run and manage remote organizations um, versus versus the traditional organizations that we've been used to and, the, and sort of the more traditional modes of management in terms of, you know, hey, everyone turn up to, to this office space and, you know, how many hours have you been here for and, you know, versus, versus sort of becoming more um, output oriented essentially. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I think I think that talent is missing on on both uh, sides, so on on the founder side as well. And uh, how can we uh, generate better uh, founders? Because that's what will lead essentially to go back to that capital conversation, the massive capital to be invested in the region. Uh, we need to get to a stage where you see a lot, a good number of founders from the region going and, and um, moving their startups to the U.S. and then raising massive capital there and raising the reputation here uh, in the region. Like, you know, Stripe, for example, had to had to move out initially. Uh, also a lot of companies from Israel, for example, or other countries. So, but yeah, the, 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 the technical talent is, uh, that's a big one to solve. And I think yeah, there, there's a massive effort that needs yeah, to be Yeah, and, and I think if I, you know, I, I, I don't want to toot the, the UAE's one too much, but, but, but I think, you know, if you look at some of the things that the UAE is starting to do now in terms of at, sort of addressing the structural issues of, of having, um, you know, uh, individuals in the economy that are, that are going to stay here on a more permanent basis um, uh, with, with sort of long-term residency options and, and, and eventually potentially handing out citizenship and so on and so forth. I think um, the reality is that it's those structural problems that are that are sometimes preventing, you know, um, that nurturing of talent. Um, I, I think, I, I don't think it's a, it, it's an issue of sort of um, capability or, or access to um, you know, to education or even access to capital to, to enable to enable those pieces to happen. I mean, I mean, you look at 
look at an ecosystem like Israel as an example. I mean, it was a it was a it was a need to to sort of build the the, the tech ecosystem out, and so they did it. I mean, they they went out yeah. and they. Um, and I mean, the, it, it, and it's a, it, and, and honestly speaking, it's a, it's an incredible ecosystem that has um, uh, contributed so significantly back into uh, places like Europe and the States in terms of, um, I mean, there's so many uh, Israeli founders who sort of, uh, you know, move, moved out as well and, and sort of built significant businesses um, in, in other parts of the world. So I think it's not something that we can't do. I think it's just if we can get the structural pieces right, um, uh, I think it's definitely possible. Yeah, I agree. And the UAE specifically is is built in a way where we're surrounded by countries with amazing technical talent. So uh, India, Russia, Pakistan, Egypt, Jordan. So the question is a lot of these, these talent, technical talent specifically, when they go to the US, immigrate to the US and live there for a few years and get the other kind of skill sets, they do like outstanding things. Um, so how, how that's the question I was kind of like wonder about. So uh, how to attract this kind of talent and nurture them within the UAE to then go on and, and, and do um, amazing stuff. I want to ask you about the uh, famous, was it 16 days or, or 17 days at noon <laughs> before before you call it quits? So how, how did that happen? Uh, also, I don't know how much you want to talk about the acquisition, but... Uh, sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, look, I, I don't think we ended up sharing the numbers about the acquisition, but but I think the acquisition itself was, um, so we, we saw Amazon coming into the region, um, and I think it was uh, it was pretty clear that um, at some point um, they were going to pull the trigger on, I mean, it, it wasn't explicitly clear, but but at some point it became clear that they were going to pull the, the, the trigger on the suit transaction. And, and so uh, that happened. Um, and I think when we saw that, that noon was going to happen, um, you know, I, I think it was pretty clear to me at the time that um, uh, that there was a short window in terms of being able to um, figure out either that we were going to go out and be able to raise significant capital, um, or alternatively, um, that we should um, look to exit the business at that time. Um, and, and I think the the reality around around capital at the time was that um, so you could pretty much cornered all of the capital that was willing to invest in the region. So, you know, there was little to no, um, you know, so for example, JDPedo started before Beko Capital started. I mean, you know, we've, um, they were, the VC ecosystem was just so nascent at the time. Um, they had, um, you know, not very many dollars available to invest. And, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the couple of investors that had taken a gamble on the region was were NASPAS or, or Process today um, and, and essentially Target Global, and they were both in Souk's cap table. And so um, there, there, were, there were there was essentially no one else that, that, that we were able to to talk to that, that essentially um, were, were thinking that MENA sort of e-commerce in, in MENA could turn into something something meaningful. Um, and so I think it, it became pretty clear that, that we should consider exiting the business. Um, we actually had a few options at the time. Uh, we were talking to a few people at the time. Um, and, um, and, and, and then we, we pulled the trigger on noon and, uh, and yeah, unfortunately it didn't quite work out the way we, we, we thought it would. Um, I, I think, uh, uh, I, I learned, you know, how to crash course in, in acquisitions and, and how they potentially should be managed, um, or, over, over like a two, over like a two week period. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was an interesting experience if, uh, if not anything. 
before I ask you what happened during those that time at noon, so were you uh, sold or, or bought? Did you go out and, and reach out to noon or, or look? We we, um, uh, we 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 had been in a conversation with with noon prior. Um, we we reengaged that conversation. Um, I, I mean, it, it, it was something that, that that I felt needed to happen, and I think um, there were um, some investors and, and you know potentially a few people that disagreed with me at the time. But when I think back on it now, um, I think people forget that um, pretty much th there's maybe one player, one player that's significant that has survived from that time. Um, pretty much every other player, um, and, and you know some players who, who raised. Um, you know, tens of millions of dollars, um, uh, you know, who, who effectively ended up collapsing. Like, um, and, and the only... Or others, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, I can, I can give you a list. I mean, you know, there's Marco P, there was Wadi, there was, there were AWOC, there, there was a bunch of players, and across different categories, across different verticals, who effectively did not end up surviving because, because essentially, you know, and, and what was clear to me was that, you know, uh, the capital that, that Noon was going to bring to market, um, whether whether it was all available or not at the time, uh, was essentially just going to be so distortive um, that, um, you know, that it was going to make it extremely difficult for someone to survive without having, you know, a significant war chest uh, on hand. And and so I think in, in, in sort of the general marketplace category, it was clear to me that, that you know, it was, it was going to become a two-horse race. Um, it, was, it was probably going to be Amazon and Noon. Um, and, 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 and hence, you know, uh, to me, it was, uh, you know, given that Noon had struggled to get off the ground themselves, you know, in, in terms of version one of their product, I was like, great, this, this feels like the right opportunity for us, um, uh, you know, to, to uh, you know, it, it's not that I wanted to sell the business, I would have loved to continue to build it. But strategically, I think sometimes, you know, you, you yeah. just need to know when, when, uh, when to take a call, essentially. Yeah, that's, that's a good analysis, I think, of that. And then during the time, you know, I mean, we all remember, uh, you know, or whoever lived during that period in Dubai, like remembers, you know, all the stories and the and the uh, rumors and the, the different things coming out of noon during that early early days at noon. Um, why did you quit so quickly? Sure. So, so I think, yeah, good, good look, good question. I, th I think um, I think there was just a cultural mismatch in terms of um, what um, what the business was. Um, looking to do from an external perspective uh, and what they wanted to do from an external perspective versus the reality inside the business. Um, I mean, I, th I think a lot of that stuff um, has been uh, has been solved down, has been fixed. Um, and so, so kudos to the, um, you know, to the to the team that uh, that, that sort of went on and, and did that. I, I think to me, um, you know, I, I think we just and, and, you know, given that we had a fundamental difference in, in, in how um, a business should be run and sort of um, you know what, what it meant to be to to be sort of building a startup and and and, and you know how how you sh you should essentially um, manage your team and so on and so forth. Um, I, I think I, I just decided that look, I've got um, other things that I could pretend, and, and I was lucky in the sense that I had I, I had options, right? So so I decided that hey, let's. Uh, um, uh, you know, let's pull the plug. We, we can. I can go off and do something else. Did, did you work directly with Alabar? I didn't actually. No, I um, uh, I've, I've met him previously. Um, I, I was working with um, uh, with with the team at Noon or the, or the new team at Noon that was coming in. Um, there were elements of the team at MR that were also sort of helping out at the time. Um, so yeah, uh, I think Alabar uh, was um, and and pretty much remains um, sort of a, you know in, in a chairman role uh, of, uh, for the business essentially. Yeah, but he's he's also, from what I know, heavily involved in the in the in the, in the details of the of the business. What do you think overall of, of you know it's a 
uh, Noon is not really a startup. It's a, it's a partly a startup, but it's, it's a successful venture. And what they've built today, taken big market share. Uh, what do you think of the execution? Uh, not at that time, but looking at it now. Sure. So, so I think, um, so, so I think, uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't mean any discredit to the larger team at Dune, but, but I think with, without um, the current CEO for us, as, as well as um, um, the de facto CTO Hisham, who are both ex Namshi and, and effectively built uh, together with Hisham, built Namshi out from scratch, um, I don't think Noon would have um, uh, gotten to the point where it is today. Um, simply because I think there's an extremely short list of individuals in the region that can balance building the sort of business that they've built out and knowing how to how to build it out um, and and then and, and then sort of also on the other side managing um, some of the um, uh, let's just politely call it political <laughs> fallout um, that, that sort of comes with uh, with being in a, in a business that way and look when I, when I look back on it um, they've definitely built an interesting business. Um, I, I think it, it depends on, on uh, how or, or what you use to measure success by, but, but from an execution perspective, they've, they've definitely executed well. The product has, has by and large executed um, and has iterated well. Um, I mean, you know, things like Nana have been, in my understanding, have been wildly successful, essentially. Um, I mean, that, that business on its own could, could stand alone and, and, and effectively be a significant startup, startup by itself. Um, so I think, um, you know, th there has generally been good execution out there. Um, and, but at the same time, on the other side, I mean, you know, my understanding is that um, from, from from someone that that I that I know pretty well, um, Amazon currently is spending, you know, um, few uh, I'd say sort of in, in the low hundreds of millions of dollars, um, or they're they're burning in the low hundreds of millions of dollars to keep uh, the mean operation up and running. Um, and and it, uh, um, you know, given given that Nude is competing against that, I'd be I wouldn't be surprised to hear if they're if they're burning similar amounts of cash at this point. I I, I don't specifically know, but but I think um, it's probably a while to go in terms of before this this sort of uh, I guess this rivalry sort of plays out and and, and we see who's uh, who's still left standing essentially. So the whole industry is just burning cash right now, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, it's it's and and it, it's known. Um, I, I think people have known that 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 e-commerce and sort of and especially um, to the general goods marketplaces will take a lot a lot a lot doing. And I think Amazon's been lucky in that. Um, I shouldn't say lucky, but but they have other businesses that, that they can use to, and, and, and obviously Amazon being global, they've, they've got a lot of uh, uh, other regions that they can sort of use to offset, um, you know, the, the cash that they're burning in in, in, in this region and such. But, um, you know, I um, I think, and, and then on the other side, sort of Noon's got um, uh, PIF on, on one side and then, uh, you know, sort of Abu Dhabi on the other. So uh, there's also a lot of cash there. So I think it'll be interesting yeah. to see who... Uh, uh, who, who sort of uh, survives and, and uh, what, 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 what sort of ends up, ends up happening, uh, uh, I guess, probably in the next three or four years, essentially. You, you followed the AWOC story in details, and I think you did a like, clubhouse session on it or something. And uh, what, do you think of, of, what do you think the fate of, of all the vertical-focused e-commerce startups that are, are in the region? Uh, how, how do such founders... Uh, what actions or kind of things they should follow to, to avoid uh, bankruptcy, essentially? Yeah, I, I think, look, it's, um, I, I think the challenge that, so, so I think, um, I, you know, a number of, I think pretty much every player had, had slightly different problems, excuse me, in the sense that, um, you know, AWOC had, my understanding is they had, they had a bunch of issues with their investors. Um, 
Uh, I, I think they had they had the right model, but but just couldn't follow through in terms of the the capital that was required to continue to build their business out. Um, I, I think in terms of um, you know, I, I think the challenge probably from from an e-com perspective today, if you're sort of vertically focused, I, I, like for example, if I think about a business like Mom's World today, um, you know, probably out of left field, um, they had. Um, uh, you know, first cry come in from from India, um, and 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 essentially first cry has raised a significant amount of capital, um, low hundreds of millions of dollars, like four hundred million, if I remember right, from SoftBank. Um, uh, really understands operations well. The product, is, you know, product probably middle of the ground. Um, uh, it, it, it does its job. I, I don't think it's 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 outstanding yet. Um, but they came in and they basically carved out significant amount of share for themselves. And so I think that the 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 challenge is that you know I'd probably think about which battles to pick. So I think it, it, it's difficult to, um, you know, without having the right amount of capital in your cap table or having the ability to raise that, to go out and solve every single problem that needs to be solved. So for example, um, if you're building if you're building a product and, and engineering and, and then you're essentially, um, you know, building a product from scratch and then you're building warehousing and you're building logistics and you're, you own inventory, I think, um, there's a lot of problems that you're trying to solve, right? At the same time, I mean, today when I, I, I think one of the one of the interesting things has been um, uh, there've been a few D two C startups in in, in the e-com space um, who I think have uh, you know literally just sat on top of Shopify and said, okay, I'm only going to solve brand supply chain and let Shopify do all of the heavy lifting in terms of the actual e-com journey. I don't, I don't want to think about all of those pieces. It's it's already been solved. So I think um, it, it's not obviously not solvable in 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 every model out there, but but I think you probably need to pick your battles, um, and, and and there's nothing stopping you from iterating, right? I, I think I'd, I'd say, okay, you know, go go to market with something that that you think will work, um, and just iterate your approach. I mean, when we started, we were a direct e-com player. Um, we had warehousing, we had a fleet. You know, we were doing same day deliveries in at sort of early 2011 um, with 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 inventory in 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 warehouse. Essentially, we attempted grocery. Grocery was actually the first thing that we attempted. Um, I remember these distinct of Pepsi. And, and we, we actually we had a relationship with a, with a large cash and carry business. Um, we, we shared a warehouse with them for six months, uh, attempts to do grocery, and it just wouldn't work. And, and so kept it trading, kept it trading, and eventually got to a point, you know, like five and a half, six years later, where, where we'd thrown everything else out and we were purely a marketplace platform. So I, so I think you just need to figure out um, and, and just sort of sort of go with the market and, and, and sort of go out and, and build something that, that, you know, at the end of the yeah. day, build a, that, that's going to work. Well, from what you've seen, what are... if, if you know, a founder wants to start a, um, something in, in the e-commerce space today. What are, I mean, from what I've seen so far, the, for example, everything that's like very uh, low cost, like cheap product uh, at scale, similar, you know, we've seen AWOC, Balquiz, uh, similar companies. No one was able to crack that. It seems to be like almost impossible to sustain a business with that, even if you had the capital, because some of these, they did have, like maybe they needed more, but they did have, you know, uh, good backing uh, essentially. So, is, is the uh, better approach to focus on a niche, or, or like you said, solving a, a specific problem? Yeah, look, I honestly, I, I haven't kept enough of an eye on the e-com space to to sort of specifically comment on on what I think will. Yeah, from what you've seen, like, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's um, you know, for me, general marketplaces uh, is it, probably done and unless you have like a um uh, like a like a great take on it um i think there's probably going to be a difficult space to to start up and um when i think about um 
you know, uh, so bulk was, was sort of more leaning towards uh, bulk grocery. But, but when I think about AWOC's business today, I think there's significant competition from um, lots of players out of China. So whether you look at someone like Jolly Sheik or Xi'an or, um, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's, a, there's effectively a bunch out there and they're effectively sitting right next to the supply chain. So, um, you know, they're, they're I, I wouldn't say as close as, but but almost co-located with with, 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 with where the factories are, yeah. et cetera. And so I think unless you've got a great model there, again, I think that's probably going to be difficult to beat. Um, you know, shipping out of China isn't a significant deal. Um, the last mile also is a solvable problem. So um, I, I think you, you, that, that probably, again, is a space that, that, I, that I probably wouldn't look at. I think D2C remains interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of... Um, uh, potential in in building brands for the region. Um, I, I don't think we've got. Uh, I, I think we've seen it in, in sort of adjacent spaces. For example, in the UAE, we've seen a lot of um, sort of uh, food related startups. I think we have a we have a significant economy around uh, people liking to eat out, especially at independent brands. Um, you know, uh, drink hipster, lots of hipster coffee, and so on and so forth. So I think that there's there, there's potentially um, some spaces there. Um, it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, I've I've seen yeah, also. Uh, clothing brand, like I can't remember the name, but like yoga pad, like from the UAE, and they're pretty global. Sure, sure. So, for example, there's guys like the Giving Movement. Um, yeah, that's, that's the one. one. That's the one. Um, that's the one. Uh, so, um, my my brother runs a fulfillment business called Fafil. Quick, quick plug to him. Um, so they they currently um, so the Giving Movement is a is is a significant significant customer for them today. So I think they're they're probably a really good example of, of someone who's. Um, you know, just basically built a D2C business from scratch from the region, and now is looking to expand out out, out from the region into in, into places like the UK and, and and the US and so on and so forth. Um, I've I've seen, for example, platforms for independent fashion designers. I, I think there's there's a lot that you can potentially get out there and do, um, but it, but I think you need to probably pick something where where um, you know you have a competitive advantage yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, and something that that probably works in the region versus uh, something that could be served from outside. I agree. Yeah, I think DTC is definitely underrated. I mean, Huda Beauty is, is you know, massive conglomerate like out of out of that. Uh, we have a few minutes left, so I, I want to go back to to Nomad and uh, so if, I, if you know a step or, or, or startup or a company want to use Nomad today, is, is your product available to to start using it today? And across yeah, I, mean, I mean, yeah, you, you just—it's literally normal.com. So I know mod.com. You can pull down um, either the the uh, the apps either from the Play Store or App Store, and essentially sign up in a few minutes. Start accepting card payments. Um, we settled directly to um, to merchants today ourselves. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can—you uh, know—it's just a super easy way for, um, for for a business that wants to to be able to to, to accept payments really fast. And that's for customers who are in the UAE, or or which countries are you? No, I, I, so I mean, we so we we personally are focused on on acquiring customers and, and serving customers in the UAE, but we've got businesses in a bunch of places today. Um, you know, uh, we, we've seen customers from places like Aruba, the States, um, India, uh, Pakistan, um, Nigeria. The, the, there's lots and lots of markets out there that that we're happy to serve today. And, and I think for us, it's. Um, you know, basically keeping the door open, um, seeing what markets work, um, and then essentially, um, and, and then potentially going out and serving those markets. I think in the short term, we'll, we'll I mean, the, the plan is to, um, from the UAE to expand out into in, into MENA and then, um, and then and then look at um, sort of uh, adjacent emerging markets markets beyond that. But, but I mean, you never know, right? I mean, uh, maybe a market starts taking off for us and we, we change the plan and we go out and start uh, serving yeah. that market a little bit better. 
So is that just the physical card product today, or can I also set up Nomoda as a as a payment gateway on on my website? No, so so I, so I don't think we're I, I, I so we don't have any immediate plans to to turn into an acquirer or, or processor ourselves. Um, we I think there's lots of uh, guys out there, and I'd uh, very readily point uh, everyone towards Stripe and say that look, Stripe will do that best for you. Um, you should just sign up with them. And I think look, I'm 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 not someone who who, who was a fan of sort of reinventing or sort of sort of rebuilding the same thing over. I think Stripe's done a great job and they probably will continue to do so in that infrastructure space. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did probably just go uh, go with them. I mean, we we have a have a really strong working relationship with Stripe ourselves. So um, yeah, I'd, 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 go, I'd go out and, and sort of look at someone like that. That's uh, very true. And, and what is next for, so what's your kind of product roadmap look like? Um, what other other products uh, you have in the roadmap? Sure. So, so I think we're we're looking to. Um, I, th I think that th th there's a few bits that we're that we're working on. So, one, one obviously the, the the current features that we've got out there, we're, we're continuing to iterate them. So, I think in the short term, uh, we want to start supporting um, teams. So, so so business can can essentially come in and, and start adding. Um, you know, various individuals in their in their in their organization. Um, so, if you, for for example, think about you know a delivery business or or anyone who's got sort of uh, multi multiple stores and so on and so forth. So, we want to be able to serve those businesses a little bit better. Um, and and then beyond that, um, you know, we we we're, we're looking at you know the equivalent of doing a current account. Uh, we're going to do um, uh, corporate cards at some point. Um, uh, and and we, we we I think we're really trying to get ourselves to a place where we can start lending to our merchants. Um, and I think uh, we're probably not quite there yet, um, but uh, I think that's sort of the, the holy grail in our business, essentially get to you know, a bunch of different financial services. And, and, and hopefully we've, uh, we've essentially built an alternative to, um, to, what, to what a typical bank does today. Um, and, and, and hopefully not that these merchants need to, need to turn around and uh, have a talk to a bank again in the future. So <laughs> Yeah, co corporate cards are a big issue. I mean, today I think... Um, if you get a corporate card under your business in the UAE, you don't get any benefits such as miles or or any of that. Sure. So a lot of people have it under personal names, and then you have to like do all the uh, accounting that comes with that. Uh, yeah. yeah. What do you think of of Zen, uh, the new digital bank? Is that uh, that's run also by a lot? Yeah. So, so I, I think look, I think there, there's a bunch out there at the moment. Um, so Zen, from from my understanding, um, in uh, you know they they they've basically been building um, this business since mid mid twenty seventeen, um, uh, and and uh, they they've they've raised a fair bit of capital as well, um, and I think they've uh, uh, it's taken them a while to get to um, you know to to solve the break three piece. Uh, I think the tech stack has been rebuilt a couple of times, is my is my understanding, um, but 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 I think look, I it, it's you know I I I love to sort of see. You know, and understand the business a bit better before sort of sort of concretely commenting on it. Um, I I, th I think look, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the, there's there's seven or eight plays at at, at the moment, um, the serious plays at the moment. Um, I probably should do a thread on them at some point, but um, yeah, I, I think it'll be it, look, it, it's it's good to see, but 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 I think the proof is in the pudding, right? I don't I don't think anyone has executed um, uh, a great. Uh, B2B play yet. Um, I think I think Live um, from a, at least a UAE sort of consumer perspective was a uh, w w was probably a good um, yeah, you know w was a good start. I think then they ran into some sort of traditional banking issues when they when they started trading their pricing and so forth. And uh, the last I saw, their um, the, the individual that that built that business has basically left to go off and build a new digital bank with with ADQ and Abu Dhabi. So uh, yeah, I, th I think lots of lots of sort of quiet movement in the space and uh, and hopefully. Uh, 
we'll see some interesting stuff sort of coming out the door. Yeah, it makes sense also to start on B2B and then and then shift to B2C after after that. Um, we're, we're almost out of time. My dogs are barking as well. <laughs> Not if I'm out the, the time. Uh, this, this has been really great. I could go on for hours. Uh, hope to have you back uh, again on, on, on the show and, and see where Nomad is at uh, and, and discuss more things. Uh, thank you for being on. Thanks, Lottery. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you like this podcast and want to listen to more episodes, Subscribe to the Meta Conversations podcast on one of your favorite podcast channels. 